Good morning again. Thank you so much for being here. There was once a woman who lived her entire life single. She passed away, and at her funeral, all of her pallbearers were women. An attender at the funeral was curious, and so they asked a relative of the deceased, why are all the pallbearers women? And the relative responded, well, she had it written into her will that no man would take her out while she was alive, therefore no man was going to take her out when she was dead. I do realize that there is somewhat of a risk for a preacher who has been married 25 years to talk about the single life. But I have some things that I want to say this morning, some things that have needed to be said in the church and in our society for quite some time, things that I think we need to grab hold of and internalize to help us on our way. And it's all predicated upon this. If you are a single Christian, you are not less than. And sadly, that is how many in our society view the single person. That if you're single, if you're not married, then you need fixing or fixed up. That you are incomplete, that you are broken, and nothing could be further from the truth. Unfortunately, as we stated earlier in this lesson, not everyone sees marriage for the proper purpose for which it was designed. Marriage is great, but it's not ultimate. And when you study the plethora of scriptures that speak about marriage, you'll notice that personal happiness and fulfillment is never the end game. What you do notice is that marriage is a shadow of a more important relationship. Not only that, you also notice that the purpose of marriage goes far beyond just meeting each other's needs so that the two of you can be happy for a lifetime. The Lord is my shepherd, not my spouse. Therefore, I shall not want. Marriage is great, but it's not ultimate. God is. And the happiness and fulfillment that I find in a marriage is a byproduct of me pursuing God first. So, I want you to keep all of that in mind as the basis for our discussion this morning because what is true for the married couple is just as true for the single individual. You start with God. Satisfaction and fulfillment come through Him. Don't look to another imperfect person to fill a void that only God can fill, right? First thing I want to do is I want to channel my inner Adam Savage. You know who that is? one of the co-hosts of Mythbusters, I think we need to bust some myths when it comes to marriage versus the single Christian. And here's the first one. Singleness equals your identity. This could not be more untrue, yet it's treated as an absolute truth in our society. Many allow their marital status to define them, but the truth of the matter is you are not defined by your marital status. You are defined by your redemptive status. God created you. Christ died for you. Therefore, you have great value and worth whether you're married or not. And the purpose for your life is to be an image bearer. You are to glorify God in all that you do. And that doesn't change whether you're married or single. A second myth, me 
plus someone else equals happiness. I think we've talked this point to death, so we won't belabor it too much, but our culture sells people on this idea that the goal in life is to find the right person so that you'll be happy. This is a myth that affects single people, but it also affects married people too. Married people are confronted with this as well. When a marriage is based on happiness and you're no longer happy in the marriage, what do you do? Well, you go and you find somebody else who can make you happy because when that's the goal, you've got to satisfy the goal, right? They consider leaving their, certain, uh, their, their current spouse and their family and going pursuing happiness somewhere else or in something else. But the big fat myth here is that another person can be the source of your happiness. As we stated last week, happiness is fleeting. It's based on current conditions and circumstances. It's not a worthy goal. God wants you to experience something greater than happiness. He wants you to experience joy, but joy is not the goal either. Joy is the benefit. The goal is to pursue God, to keep first things first, to go after Him and then reap joy. Here's the third myth. Single people are lonely and married people are not. There are many who believe that if you're alone, then you're lonely, and if you're married, you're never lonely. When the truth is, there are plenty of folks who are in a marriage that feel completely alone, who are lonely, Despite what some believe, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You'll notice that the grass is very green and lush around a septic tank. That should tell you something. So we shouldn't assume that marriage fills in all the blanks in life. And a fourth myth is that singleness is a curse. Unfortunately, I know of single Christians who believe that God has not come through for them. They have prayed and prayed for a spouse, and yet God seems to have abandoned them or doesn't want to answer their request or even worse is punishing them for something they wonder what's wrong some feel as though that God cannot sympathize with them and doesn't care about them and and while I understand the sentiment I, I don't think that God operates that way I don't think God is punishing anyone for being single I don't believe that God operates that way in fact I actually think quite the opposite as we'll see in a few moments I think God blesses the single Christian and has a vital role for them in his kingdom. Now, just to be clear, I don't mean to undo everything that we have talked about up to this point in this series. I do hold marriage in highest esteem. I do believe that it is the most sacred human relationship. I do believe that marriage should not be diminished in any way, shape, or form. However, I also want to be clear that marriage isn't always the end-all, be-all that we make it out to be. And it's certainly not meant to be viewed as better than while the single life is less than. The Bible presents us with many single Christians who were a tremendous blessing to the Lord's people and to the kingdom. One such person was Paul. And Paul certainly busted the myth that the single life is less than. Listen to what he writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Starting in verse 25, it says, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Then do, then do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. 
But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. A woman was being cross-examined in court about the death of her three husbands. The attorney asked her, what happened to your first husband? She said, he died of mushroom poisoning. The attorney asked, what happened to your second husband? She said, he died of mushroom poisoning. The attorney asked, well, what happened to your third husband? She said, he died of head trauma. And the attorney asked, well, how did he get head trauma? She said, because I hit him over the head with the iron skillet when he wouldn't eat the poison mushrooms. <laughs> you know, marriage is the brunt of a lot of jokes, right? I mean, we make fun of marriage. We mock marriage, especially if you've been married for many years. It seems like you have a different take on marriage than the single person. The single person wishes uh, a lot of times more than anything else to be married. My kids go to Harding University and they have this running joke, this phrase that gets tossed around called ring by spring. In other words, the idea is I've got to get engaged while the odds are at the highest when I'm at college. That's where I'm going to find my mate. There's this pressure in our society to get married. And yet, married folks a lot of times try to deter people from getting married. It's funny how we have this bipolar view of marriage in our culture. Single folks want to be married more than anything else and married folks Kind of wish to be single sometimes, right? We see it over and over again. But Paul presents both single and married as potentially good and potentially bad. In fact, as you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you almost get the idea that, that Paul's bringing about the single life and elevating it above the married life. Look at it again, starting in verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. It's almost as if Paul is presenting marriage as some sort of problematic plan B, right? But nothing could be further from the truth. Paul has eternity in view. Specifically, the context surrounding his words is the second coming of Jesus, which he believed was going to come very soon. And also, the context is persecution. That's what he's pointing to when he says the present distress. There's a bigger purpose, Paul says. There's a broader focus that we all should have, whether you're married or single. Because he says when you're married, you tend to focus on your spouse's needs. You tend to get distracted by looking after your spouse and trying to make sure that they are happy and satisfied. You get caught up in one another and you tend to forget the bigger picture. The single person, however, doesn't, doesn't have that distraction. They can zero in on spending their time focused on the kingdom and, and, and doing the Lord's work. And, and of course, Paul is speaking broadly here in a general sense. Not every single person is focused where they should be and not every married person is just focused on their spouse and not the Lord. 
you know, those of you who are sports fans might remember the Los Angeles Lakers of the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. They had two of the best players to ever play the game, Kobe and Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. And they were highly successful. They won a, a few championships, but they couldn't get along. Both of them were concerned about who the man was going to be, right? Who was going to get to take the last shot? Who was the reason for their success? And there was this internal struggle with that, the civil war that went on behind the scenes. And many fans wondered, well, why can't you just get along? You're both great. You're both going to be in the Hall of Fame. Why can't you just get along for the sake of the team? And I think that's what Paul's referring to here. Not Kobe and Shaq winning championships, but I think he's referring to what it takes for Christians to win at all costs. You see, what Paul is, is getting to is stated in that phrase, the time has been shortened. That's a big key in understanding his focus here. The time is short, so you don't have time to weep. You don't have time to invest in the earth. You don't have time to gripe and complain with your spouse. Jesus is coming back. You need to be focused on what's most important here. There's something bigger than just your personal happiness and comfort. Paul is anticipating, as I said, the second coming of Jesus. The church was also facing widespread persecution. So when you read the words of 1 Corinthians 7, you have that context in mind. Paul put first things first. And he treated marriage as second best. Remember, he talked about how he wished that people would just be like him and remain unmarried because that way they could focus more on God and the gospel. He says that it's not sinful to marry, but in light of the persecution and the coming of Jesus, it might be better if you remain single so that you can focus on keeping the main thing the main thing. And then notice verse 35. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's it. There, there's the thesis statement for Paul. And everything that he has been saying, undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's what he's driving at here, the whole point of his teaching. He's not saying that marriage is bad. In fact, he talks about the sanctity of marriage often in his letters, especially in Ephesians chapter 5, in which he related it to the church being the bride of Christ. However, here Paul is speaking of marriage as a relationship that can possibly take away from what should be our first priority. Now, I should say this. This is not meant to be a salve for those single Christians who wish to be married more than anything else. You may very well long to be married. You may wish to be married more than anything else in this world. You may even feel profound disappointment that at this point you are not married. But I think one principle to draw on from Paul's message to the Corinthians is this that we must be satisfied in God first. He is our primary focus. He is our purpose for living. Our fulfillment, our joy comes in Him. Paul is essentially saying whether you are single or married, make it about God. Whether married, divorced, widowed, not yet married, live for God First and foremost, no matter what your marital status, undistracted devotion to the Lord is what we should all be seeking. That comes first. 
I, I want to introduce you to a couple of people. This is Bonnie and Beulah Harris. As you can tell, they were tw they're twins, and they were members of the church in Cassville, Missouri, where I was at before I came here. They're in their 80s now. They could be fully relied upon when anything was happening at the church. They would dig in and help, whether it was cooking a meal for a funeral. Uh, they were certainly faithful in their attendance. They were at the nursing home to do singing. We did singing at the nursing home once a month. They were always there. They were at every function. They could be fully relied upon to dig in and serve wherever they were needed. Neither one of them have ever been married. And like I said, it's difficult for somebody who, well, March, I will have been married 25 years. It's kind of difficult for somebody who has been married 25 years to talk about what it means to be single. And so I hope you understand this and, and, and please give me some grace here as I try to speak on what I've learned in talking with single Christians, especially what I've learned from Bonnie and Beulah. These ladies would have loved to have been married. I talked to them one time about it. I said, you know, did you guys ever come close to getting married? And, and Bonnie said, well, I had a guy that I was pretty serious about at one point, but she said, I guess it just wasn't in the cards. Both of them said they would have loved to have been married, but they never felt like they needed a man to complete them, they said. They taught me that one of the keys to being single and in the church is to redeem your singleness. Here's some other things they taught me. They said, I have learned that that many single Christians wish to be married more than anything else, and I, I think that's true. I've learned that many single Christians feel pressured to get married and have children, they said. I've learned that some single Christians wonder if God is mad at them or if their singleness is some sort of a curse. And Bonnie and Beulah even said they, they contemplated that a little bit, although not too serious. They said, I've learned that many single Christians pick a church based on the odds of perhaps finding a mate. I hate that any person would feel like that God has abandoned them or has cursed them or think that they have done something wrong. It's why God is keeping them single. As I said, I don't believe God operates that way. And it's unfortunate that many face pressure from society and the church to be married because some believe that if you're single, you're incomplete in need of repair. And I can sympathize with any man or woman who wishes to be married and share their life with someone. And I'm sure that Bonnie and Beulah had all those same feelings. But they taught me that it's important to redeem your singleness. Here's the deal. As a single person, you have three options. You can grow, you can grab, or you can gripe. I'm 25 going on 50. I hadn't met anybody else. My biological clock is ticking, right? If I don't find somebody soon, it's going to be too late for me. Being single can be extremely hard, especially in the church. You have friends that couple up, and you're over here as the Lone Ranger. But we know that griping seldom solves anything. Certainly, we sometimes need someone to vent to. But at the end of the day, we can gripe or we can go to another option. We can grab, grab anybody that's available. Anybody who's breathing and has a pulse, we can grab them and marry them. We can settle and realize that we're in a worse predicament than when we were single. In fact, I've seen this happen where people are so desperate to get married, they marry someone that's not right for them, and they end up in a worse predicament. You can also grow. 
That's what Bonnie and Beulah taught me. They taught me that growing and going with God is really the focal point. That's what Paul teaches as well. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul sang the praises of singleness because he saw it as an opportunity to promote what's most important and to be undistracted in one's devotion to the Lord. And let me say this. If you are single, try praying this prayer. Dear God, married or single, my life is in your hands. I'm going to do your will and make myself available for whatever you bring into my life. If you want me to marry, then catch him or her and deliver them in your own time. In the meantime, let's get to work. In other words, redeem your singleness. As tough as it is, as heartbreaking as it may be, I'd encourage you to, to live single yet satisfied. Singleness is not the minor leagues of marriage. Regardless of how society or even some within the church present it, that's not what it is. Quite the contrary, singleness has the potential to be a unique period or season of undivided devotion to Christ and undistracted ministry to others. Paul was single. Jesus was single. And both of them gave some really awesome advice for single Christians Besides Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7, he also had this to say in Philippians 4, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Doesn't exactly fit the context of marriage. But hopefully you, you get the principle. Learning to be content in whatever station in life I find myself in. Finding satisfaction and strength in a relationship with the Lord. Listen to the words of Jesus. Now large crowds were going along with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Married or single, Jesus says, love me more. Nothing can outrank me. That's Jesus' message here. So I know your wife puts you on a pedestal. She worships the ground you walk on. I know your kids are amazing and they're so good at band and sports and all those things. They make straight A's. I know they're on varsity and your mom is your best friend and all those things. But none of those should outrank me. Because nobody in your life is worthy of worship. Only God. Only our Lord. So married or single, we are all in the same trailer following the same truck. My dad is a truck driver. And if you know anything about truck drivers, they have their own language. For instance, the truck that he drives, that semi, he calls that a tractor. If the tractor is not pulling anything, it's called bobtailing it or deadheading it, not pulling anything, there's no trailer attached to it. But even trailers have their own names. You ever seen a flat trailer? That's called a skateboard. Uh, a cattle trailer is called a bull wagon. Uh, a log truck, a log trailer, it's called a stick wagon. 
if you see a, like a UPS truck pulling tandem trailers, it's called a wiggle wagon. They have their own language. And I don't care if you are a Christian who is a single trailer or if you're a wiggle wagon, if you're attached to someone. Either way, tandem or wiggle wagon, you're not going anywhere unless and until you're what? Attached to the tractor. Somebody's got to be pulling that trailer and somebody's got to be driving the truck. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. If God is not pulling you, single or tandem, single or wiggle wagon, if God's not pulling you, you're never going to reach your destination. So it doesn't matter, single or married, you've got to be attached to the tractor and he's got to be pulling you in the proper direction. Find your fullness and your satisfaction in him, not another human being who's not worthy of your worship, right? I don't know how many of you have had this experience, but the other day I called my internet provider because I had a problem with my service. So I get my cell phone, I call the number, I go through a series of questions that an automated person is, is asking me, yes, no, push one, push two, the whole thing takes about 10 minutes, and then I get to a voice that says, you are currently number 32 in the queue, it'll be about a 25 minute wait. I think, okay, I don't want to go through this whole 10-minute process of answering questions and pushing buttons again, so I set my phone on the counter, I hit speaker, and I go about my business waiting for somebody to pick up. Then eventually, somebody does answer and says, hello, this is so-and-so, how can I help you? And I tell them my problem, and they, tell, you know, they ask me, what's your account number? And I tell them my account number, and guess what they do? Can I put you on hold for a second while I look that up? You're constantly on hold. It's frustrating, right? And there are single Christians who are frustrated because they feel like they are on hold from God. Like God's not picking up, that He's put them on hold and He's not answering them. But nothing could be further from the truth. Please understand that as a single Christian, you are not on hold. That the great operator in the sky is not avoiding you. He's not dismissing you. Because... Real life doesn't begin when you get married and have kids. It's a great life. But I want to encourage our single Christians this morning not to turn single into an identity. Because it's not your identity. Don't find your identity in your marital status. Find it in Christ. You are a child of God. You are the bride of Christ. That, my friends, is your identity. And I pray that you'll redeem it. Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity to be together. We pray, God, that we can serve you to the best of our ability, that we can always keep the main thing the main thing. That single or married, we can attach our trailer to you and let you pull us in the proper direction. We are so blessed to call you Father. May we seek to please you by living at the center of your will always. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Clinton's going to lead us in a song. I want to invite you to, to come let us help you if you have a need, whether that's praying for you, praying for your marriage, praying for your singleness, praying, praying for some other hurt or hang-up you have in life.
Maybe you're ready to study the Bible with somebody. Perhaps you're ready to take the next step in faith. Maybe you're ready to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We often offer an invitation at the end of services, but the invitation is always extended. Either this morning or at some point, come and let us know if we can help you. Come as we stand and as we sing.